If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 42. The power of conscience is our text and our title. I want to say just a, a word of, of, of greeting to my good friends Mick and Marcia sitting up here near the front. Just want to say God bless you all. Y'all are deeply loved here at Great Hills. Missionaries, can I say the country? To Nepal, I can say that. Let's, let's welcome these heroes of the faith here. Praise the Lord. Man. Man, what a great, great couple. We're so glad they're here with us today. I was singing that song, It Is Well. I was trying to sing it. You ever tried to sing and you, your heart's just so full, both of joy and maybe some pain and a, and a lot of emotion? I looked over and saw Marcus Williams and Man, my heart went out to him as his wife is struggling with her health and was praying for Marcus. And I looked out and I saw David Yeager somewhere. I thought I saw David Yeager. David, are you here? Where did I see you? There you are in the back. I was thinking about you and Tom. Y'all just got back from uh, Slovenia. They represented our church as we are partnering with a lot of churches trying to reach North Africa. Him and Tom, Dr. Tom went. Look forward to hearing about their report. And I was just thinking about our church and so many needs, so many people here, and I, I still, my heart hurts and breaks over the events of this past week, but and Brother Jeff came up and gave me a good word of Scripture, says, I am the Lord thy God, there is no other, I am the sovereign Lord, and there is no other. That is a good word for us, and we need to be reminded that God is sovereign. I love that Greek word, pantocrator. It means the ruling monarch of the universe. When it says in Revelation, Jesus says, I am the Almighty, the, the Greek word for that is pantocrator, the Almighty, the despot. We think of a despotic leader as someone who is cruel and mean, but in, in the Greek, despot in that context means someone who is sovereign, someone who rules over all. So today, I just am glad you're here. Thank you, church family, for so much support and encouragement over our daughter that was married last week here in the church. It felt like it was about five years ago, but it was actually about eight days ago when she had her wedding, and so many of you came and, and participated with us and celebrated with us, and they are doing well. They had a great honeymoon in the Bahamas. They didn't invite us to go. Can you imagine that? I thought they would invite us, mom and dad, but they said no, and, but they had a fantastic time. They're packing up, and they're moving uh, to San Antonio, where uh, they will start their life and ministry together, so I'm very, very proud of them, and, and just so, so blessed. So, so today, I, I'm excited about this message called The Power of Conscience. And what I want to do today is share a message with you about conscience. We hear a lot about that. Well, what, what is a conscience? What does it say when my conscience is hurting or uh, my conscience has been seared? What, what do we mean by that inner being? That The Bible says the, the spirit of the man is the inner lamp of the Lord, discerning what is good and evil, says Proverbs 20 and 27. So today, I want to look at the life of Joseph, and if you haven't joined us in a while and you're, you need to catch up with what is going on in our study in Genesis, we're studying the life of one of the great patriarchs of the faith, a man by the name of Joseph, a man who was well acquainted with grief and betrayal. He was very acquainted with being cast out by his own blood brothers. He was sold into slavery. The Midianite traders took him and deposited him in Egypt where he was purchased on the slave market there by Potiphar. And we have seen Joseph from 17 years of age till about 30 years of age. His life has been one difficult event and scenario after another until God, God in his sovereign time. You ever notice that God's never early? <laughs> you ever notice God's never late? Do you ever notice God just is? He just is right. He's perfect. His timing 
is absolutely perfect. And in God's perfect timing, he takes Joseph right out of the pit, the dungeon of life, and he lifts him up and exalts him to the place of the prime minister over arguably the most powerful nation of that time, the nation of Egypt. And now God begins to orchestrate and work in the lives of his nine brothers that betrayed him. And by the way, those brothers for over 20 years have kept this secret. They have not confessed to their father, Jacob. In fact, what they did to Jacob is they betrayed him. They said, oh, Jacob, father, we're so sorry, but your son was killed by a wild animal, and here's the coat of many colors, and you notice it's dipped in blood, and so we're so sorry that your favorite, Joseph, has been destroyed, and, and well, we're just here to give you the bad news. Well, what happened in reality and truth was that was all a lie. They actually betrayed him, sold him into slavery, but they've kept this secret for 25 years until now God is going to pull back the curtain on their secret, and God's going to expose it to everybody. So today, we're going to talk about our conscience, and when God speaks to us, and God draws us, when God convicts us, and then we're going to talk about we can do one of two things. We can do what the brothers did, and we can hide it, we can try to conceal it, we can cover it up, or we can come clean and receive God's forgiveness, God's mercy, God's reconciliation. One definition of conscience goes like this. It is that thing that hurts when everything else feels good. Mark Twain put it, as only Mark Twain can put it, conscience, an uneasy conscience, is like a hair in the mouth. <laughs> I wish I hadn't read that. I just, okay, yeah. It, an uneasy conscience is a hair in the mouth. It's an irritant. It's aggravating, agitating. Webster's Dictionary defines conscience this way. Conscience is a knowledge or a sense of right and wrong with a compulsion to do that which is right. And again, Proverbs 20, 27 says, the spirit of a man, I believe a good translation of that would be his conscience. The spirit of a man is the lamp of the Lord searching all the inner depths of his heart. So today we're going to read Genesis chapter 42. We're going to read most of the chapter today. But what we're going to do is a little bit different. Instead of going through verses 1 through 28, we're going to read verses 1 through 5. And for example, we're going to talk about the caravan. We're going to talk about the journey of the Israelites, the, the nine brothers, on their way to Egypt. And then we're going to read verses 6 through 20 that deals with the conflict or the confrontation of Joseph and his brothers. Listen, guys, it's been over 20 years. They think he's dead. But yet, he easily and readily recognizes his own flesh and blood brothers, and they have a conversation about him in their native tongue. They think the prime minister cannot understand them, but the prime minister is their brother, and he understands everything. And then finally, through verses 28, we're going to look at the conscience. When the conscience of man is so burdened, in fact, the brothers put it this way, our hearts have failed us as they think about all the events surrounding, centering around Joseph's life. So let, let's read verses 1 through 5, and I've called this section of the text uh, the caravan. I know this is narrative preaching. I love preaching the Bible. I love preaching all genres of the Bible, whether it's a parable, whether it's a narrative and story, whether it's doctrine and precept, for example, of the Apostle Paul, or whether it's apocalyptical literature like the book of Revelation. I just like it all. I just love the Word of God. I love preaching all of it. And you say, was well, there anything in the book of Genesis that is apropos or would apply to me today in 2016? 
Yes. And if we take the time to read it and understand it, the Holy Spirit, what He will do, guys, is He will lift up the text. He'll lift up the text. He'll lift up your heart, and He'll bring the two together, and there'll be a holy combustion. It'll be exciting. I mean, two, one or two things are going to happen. You're just, going to, you're just going to fall more in love with God and embrace Him in His Word, or you're going to be convicted of your sin, and you're going to have a, you're going to have a decision to make. You want to come clean, ask for God's forgiveness, ask for God and others' restitution and reconciliation, or you're going to do like the brothers and just hold on to it for 20-plus years, and finally it just erupts. Now, when Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, oh, church, when he said the word Egypt, Jacob said to his sons, why do you look at one another? Can, can, I, can I just demonstrate what's going on? They're sitting around the table, and they don't have no food. And Jacob goes, you know, guys, I heard that there's grain in Egypt. I mean, he just sucked the, the life out of the room. All nine brothers did this. They went, and they looked at one another. Why? Because they're guilty. <laughs> they know they're guilty. It's been 20 years and just the mention of the name Egypt, and they just, they just catch their breath. They're like, oh, goodness, Jacob, Dad, do, do, you, do, you know who's, do you know what happened years ago? Egypt. Why? Remember when they sold Joseph into slavery, the Midianites took him, and the brothers watched as the caravan made its way to, anybody? Egypt. So he said, indeed, I've heard that there's grain in Egypt. Now, boys, go down to that place and buy for us there that we may live and not die. So Joseph's ten brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. Ten brothers. Let me explain something real quick. Actually, there's twelve brothers. There's one who's the prime minister of Egypt named Joseph. There's one born to Rachel and Jacob, like Joseph, named Benjamin. And so you got those two, and then you've got the ten before the father now. I said nine earlier, but I was getting ahead of myself for something else I want to say down the road. So you got twelve, all right? You got the twelve tribes. You got the, the twelve brothers. But Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, for he said, lest some calamity befall him. In other words, he probably was thinking, I did that once before. I'm not going to do that again. I sent Joseph with those ten guys, and they didn't look after him. In fact, they, they said he was killed. He was, he was eaten alive by some wild animal. So he, he keeps Benjamin to himself. Now the sons of Israel went to buy grain among those who journeyed, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. So let's talk just a minute about this caravan. When the dad says the word Egypt, why did the brothers have this emptiness in their stomach? Was it the 250-mile journey from Canaan to Egypt that bothered them? Was it the fact that it would take three weeks' journey to go 250 miles? Think about that, guys. Think, think about that for just a minute. Thousands of years ago, it took three weeks to journey 250 miles. I mean, goodness, it takes some of y'all 30 minutes the way you drive to go 300, you know, 250 miles. It, it didn't take them no time, us no time. It took them three weeks. You say, well, that's why, Pastor, that's why they were upset because their dad is telling them to go. No, not at all. That's not it at all. The reason they're upset and the reason they're, they're, there's a catch in their spirit and an emptiness in their stomach is because their guilty conscience, even though it's been 20 years, they remember what they did 
to their brother. Here's what they did. Genesis 37, 28 describes what happened to the brother, what they did to him. Here it is. Then Midianite traders passed by. So the brothers, that's the 10 same brothers, 20 years later, who are standing before their father. They pulled Joseph up. They lifted him out of the pit. They sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. Chapter 37. Now chapter 42, the dad mentions the word and it sends them in a spiral, cascade downward. Is there a word? Is there a name? Is there a place that when you hear it today, it takes your breath away? Is it a person? Is it an event? Is it a place? Because you have this unresolved issue in your life. You have this sin that is either, listen to me carefully, that has been done to you, or you have perpetuated that sin unto someone else. And as soon as you hear the name, his name, you may hear the name Susan, or you may hear the name Johnny, or you may hear the name dad, or mother, or uncle, or cousin, and all of a sudden, everything stops. And you just find yourself spiraling because of the sin done to you or the sin that you did to them, and it's unresolved. That's what's going on in the text. That's exactly what's going on in the text. And we think Genesis doesn't have anything to say to us. It has everything to say to us because it's about humanity. And we sin and we do hard and harmful things to ourselves and to one another, and we have hard and harmful things happen to us unless we deal with it unless we deal with it at its very core and get, get grace over it, get forgiveness over it, and unless we deal with it, we're going to live the remainder of our lives, and every time that word comes up, it's going to grab us. And Jesus says, I died to set you free from that. I died so that when that name is mentioned, you can say it's washed in the blood of the Lamb, and I don't have to worry about it, and I'm going to go on my merry way. That's what God wants, but that's not what the devil wants. The devil wants to keep you right there. He wants to keep you in bondage and in captivity. Speaking of the devil, let's talk about him for just a minute. Let's say that you have received forgiveness and reconciliation, but the devil still wants to haunt you with his accusing words. And he brings it back in your memory, and you've got a choice. You can say, well, we've dealt with that, and praise you, Jesus, thank you, it's, that's taken care of. Or if you're like me, the devil used to do something to me. He doesn't do it to me anymore, I'm going to tell you why. He'd wake me up in the middle of the night, 3 o'clock in the morning, I'd be wide awake. And I'd have this humongous, heavy issue. It usually had to do with church. Imagine that, a church and a pastor with something going on, something going down in church. And I'm like, I'd wake up right in the middle of the night, bam, and I'd be thinking about that, and I'd start getting worried about that. And I'd start thinking, wow, what am I going to do about that? And, and it finally dawned on me, Danny, you nitwit, that's not of God. God's not going to wake you up in the middle of the night worried and burdened and fearful and angry. No, that's not God. So now when the devil wakes me up at 3 o'clock, I'll say, well, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, God, you're in control. And the devil now is tired of making me praise Jesus. <laughs> Did you get that? Man, they're just going to have a holy worship service if I bring that up, so I'm going to quit bringing that up. Hey, listen, the next time the devil reminds you of your past, 
You tell him about his future. You tell him what's going to happen to him. And it reverses things. You deal with it. There's a caravan, man. They got to go. There's a journey to be made to go to Egypt. Now, Joseph was governor over the land. He was the shalit governor. Let let me give you a couple of definitions for this because I don't want us to miss verse 6 where it says, Joseph, my terminology is he's large and in charge. He's shalit. He's the governor. It means potent, prince, warrior, someone who's mighty. It means someone who has power. It's a ruler. We call him the prime minister. Remember, a couple weeks ago, we talked about Pharaoh said, hey, listen, Joseph, you're over everything except me, basically. Whatever you want, whatever you say, whatever you do, here's my royal insignia, my royal seal, my ring. You stamp it on whatever you want. It's yours. All power is divested into you, Joseph. So Joseph was governor over the land. And it was he who sold to all the people of the land. Now, we, we would read that too quickly, wouldn't we? And it was Joseph who would see that all the grain was sold in the land. Just because he is large and in charge, just because he's the prince, the governor, the president, and the monarch, he still worked. <laughs> Did y'all get that? He still worked hard. He didn't kick back. He, he didn't say, well, man, I've arrived, and I'm just going to take it easy. No. Every time I see him throughout the Scripture, he's, he's diligent, he's, he's working, he's using the talents that God has given him, and he's busy executing his responsibilities. That's, that's important. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. <laughs> Remember Genesis 37? Remember how all this began? Joseph had a dream. Joseph said, there's coming a day. All of y'all are going to bow down to me. And they said, well, we'll bow down to you right now. We'll just, we'll just throw you away. Remember that? That precipitated all of it. Joseph's dream, all the brothers, the moon and the stars, they would all bow down to me. And Joseph, again, he wasn't the wisest at 17. He was a little bit cocky, a little bit arrogant. And he told the brothers, he said, by the way, guys, all y'all are going to bow down to me one day. God told me that. <laughs> and they laid hands on him. They didn't, by the way, if you have a sibling, you may not want to tell them that. You, you may just want to hold that between you and God, okay? Because it got Joseph in big trouble. But here it is, exactly 25 years later, all the brothers come and they're bowing down to Joseph. Joseph saw that his brothers, he saw them and he recognized them. But he acted as a stranger to them and he spoke roughly to them. Then he said to them, where do you come from? And now he's speaking through an interpreter. Are you with me? He's speaking Egyptian, whatever that sounded like, hieroglyphics, all right? He's speaking through an interpreter, and they're translating Joseph to the brothers. Joseph doesn't look anything like he used to look. I think he's probably changed his hair, his appearance. He's, he's probably got some dignified clothing on. Last time they saw him, he was, he was bloodied and bandaged and sent off away to slavery. So anyhow, they think he's dead, all right? And Joseph says, well, what are you guys? Who are you guys? Where'd you come from? They said, well, we come from the land of Canaan to buy food. Joseph's brother, Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. It's been 20 plus years. He thinks, they think he's dead. Then Joseph remembered the dreams which he had dreamed about them. And he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said to him, no, 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 sir, my Lord. <clears throat> But your servants, we've just come to buy food. We are all one man's sons. We are all honest men. Yeah, right. (laughs) 
liar, liar, pants on fire. Y'all ain't honest. Y'all tried to kill Joseph. You sold him into slavery. You're not honest. By the way, none of us are honest. None of us are without sin. None of us, our motives are pure as the driven snow. No, all of us have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. We need reconciliation. We need restitution to God. And the sooner we recognize that, the better and the more blessed life we will live. Some of you need to do that today. You need to say, God, I'm sorry. I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. Cleanse me and be washed in Jesus' precious blood. Be baptized by the Holy Spirit of God. Be be united in the church of God and receive all that God wants you to receive. You say, how do I get all that? By saying, God, help me, I'm a sinner. That's it. Lord, forgive me, I I need you, help. Boom, God gives you all of that. What a divine exchange. He takes all of your junk and he gives you all of his jewels and treasures. What a gospel. Oh, we're all, we're just one man's sons. We're all honest men. We're, we're servants and not your spies. But he said to them, nope. But you have come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said, your servants are 12 brothers. Watch this, church. This is really interesting. The sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And in fact, the youngest is with their father today. And one is no more. The youngest, Benjamin, is with Jacob, the dad. But there's another brother. He's dead. Do y'all see the irony? Do y'all see what's going on here? He's not dead. They're talking to him, but they don't recognize him. And God in heaven is orchestrating this whole thing. He's got an idea in mind. He's going to bring it to fruition. He's going to bring those brothers to their knees in repentance, and it's going to be a beautiful story. But Joseph said to them, it is as I spoke to you, you're spies. And Joseph, he's messing with them a little bit, okay. <laughs> wouldn't you? Oh, no, really? Wouldn't, wouldn't you take, just take a moment to say, Lord, forgive me, but I'm going to mess with them just, just a little bit. Henry Morris, commentary, he, he believes better than that. He thinks that Joseph is actually trying to lead them to repentance even now. He sees it that Joseph is, has, a, has a plan in mind even now, and Henry Morris may be right, but I, I think for right now, Joseph is just messing with them. In this manner, you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> He's testing them. He's testing them. He knows he was the youngest brother, and he knew what happened to him. I wonder if they've changed. Bring your younger brother, and then you shall be kept in prison that your words may be tested to see whether there is any truth in you, or else, by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. So Joseph put them all together in prison for three days. All ten brothers in prison for three days. Then Joseph said to them the third day, here's what I think happened. I think, I think Joseph is messing with him a little bit. I think he's, he's a little bit angry. I can get that, but he didn't execute them, praise the Lord. He didn't just do away with them. I believe God began to work on Joseph's heart, and Joseph comes out and he says, okay, do this and live, for I do fear God. If you're honest men, let one of your brothers be confined to your prison house. Now, remember just earlier, he wanted all nine of the brothers confined to the prison house and let and let one go. 
But now he's saying, no, let's just let one stay in prison and the rest of you can go. That's interesting, isn't it? Just in three days, his heart changes from keeping them all incarcerated except one and now just letting one be incarcerated and letting them all go. Interesting. So go and carry grain for the famine of your houses and bring your youngest brother to me so your words will be verified. Now watch this, church. This is really interesting. And you shall not die. And they did so. Now the reason that's interesting is because in this confrontation with the brethren, Joseph has leveled a searing accusation against his brothers. If they are found guilty of being spies, do y'all know what the penalty for being for espionage was then? It was death. And by the way, that was pretty common in Egypt at that time because I'm sure their enemies and people of other nations would come to Egypt and they would try to map it out and get a plan. Man, how can we extract some of this grain? And, and listen, desperate times, these people are calling for desperate measures and they're thinking, that, well, we'll just take it. We'll just spy it out. And then when they're not looking, we'll capture grain for our country. Of course, Joseph knows they're not doing that, but he's creating this scenario as part of the confrontation. <sighs> I like what Chuck Swindoll says here in this text. He says, put yourself in Joseph's sandals for a moment. How must he have felt as he heard their words? So far as his brothers were concerned, he no longer existed. He was buried in the graveyard of their memories. He was no more. He was out of sight, out of mind, and he was gone forever, end of quote. So there's a lot going on in our text. There's a lot going on in Joseph's heart. I think initially he's maybe rough with them, but then his, his heart is so sweet. Joseph's heart is so pure. And you know why? Because Genesis 39, 2 says, and the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph in the bad times of the prison. The Lord was with Joseph when he was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. The Lord was with Joseph in all of his hardship, but now the same God is with Joseph as he's exalted on the pedestal. As he's leading the nation, his heart is still tender. His hands are still busy. He's still working hard. But he also has a tenderness in his heart, and he will not execute his brothers. In fact, what he does is he just tests them. A lot going on. So impressed with Joseph. So now, finally, I want us to get to verses 21 through 28. And I want us to look at, to me, the apex, the real pinnacle of the text is verses 21 and 22. And we're going to go there now. So let's read it. This is what I call the convicted conscience, this part of the narrative. 42, verse 21. Watch this, church. You all with me? The brothers said to one another, we are guilty. What? Like, say, say, what? Excuse me? This whole scenario has reminded them of what they did 20 years ago to Joseph. Isn't that, they have no idea that this is Joseph. They, look at this, church. They see that their destiny is in the hands of another man. They think perhaps we're all going to die. We're not going to get any food back to our father. Our father Jacob will die. Benjamin will die. Our families will die. Why is God letting this happen? Oh, I know why. It's what we did to our brother. All of that's right there in the text. They said to one another, we're guilty. 
concerning our brother. It's been 25 years. But for we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us and we would not hear. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered and he said, the oldest Reuben, did I not tell you nitwits, you knuckleheads? 20 years ago, I told you, do not sin against the boy. You would not listen. I bet you there was some, there was some going on among the brothers. I don't, I, they're probably still in prison. They're probably fists are raised. They're probably beat, ready to beat one another up. And Reuben says, I told y'all, don't sin against the boy. Don't kill him. Therefore, behold, his blood is now required of us. It's like they killed him because they sold him into slavery. And surely a 17-year-old Hebrew boy going to Egypt, he hadn't had a chance to live. But they did not know that Joseph understood them, for he spoke to them through an interpreter. And he turned himself away, and he wept. Look at Joseph. Hey, don't you love him? His heart is so pure. He's testing them. Some, some people ask this question, why did he weep? Did he weep because he felt sorry for himself? And look at the betrayal. Look what they've done to me. I don't think so. I think he weeps because he sees that his brothers are not right with God, and they are not right with their father. That's deep. I wish I could get there. I wish I could be at such a place of truism, altruism, of purity of motives where though, though all hell is broken loose on me, I still am more concerned for you and, and for your family and for your father and for your relationship with God. That's where Joseph is. And he returned to them again and he talked with them. And he took Simeon, the second born, from them and bound him before their eyes. Okay, you're with me? <clears throat> Benjamin's at home, brother one, brother 12, actually. Joseph is the prime minister, okay? His brother 11, okay? The oldest brother, Reuben, is going to take the nine brothers because Simeon, the second one, is staying. So the nine brothers are going to go to their father, Jacob. They're going to try to go get Benjamin and bring Benjamin back so that he can demonstrate to the potentate, to Joseph, that the youngest is, is alive and, and we are not spies, we're telling a true story. And what's going to happen is all of them are going to be together. <laughs> you with me? They're all going to be together. And that's what Joseph wants. <laughs> He's so smart. He wants to see them all together. Then Joseph gave a command to fill their sacks with grain, to restore every man's money to his sack, <clears throat> and to give them provisions for the journey. Thus he did for them. So they loaded their donkeys with the grain and departed from there. Watch this. But as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey feed at the encampment, whoa, what? He saw his money. And there it was in the mouth of his sack. And he said to his brothers, my money has been restored. And there it is. It's in my sack. Now watch this, church. Then their hearts failed them. And here's why I think they, their hearts failed them. Two reasons. Number one, if they find out that our money is in our sacks, we're dead. Then we're definitely spies. I don't know how that money got in our sacks, 
But when they find out that we've got the feed and the money, we're spies, we're doomed. So their hearts fail them, exhibit A, but exhibit B. They're going, what's going on here? What is happening here? I got our money. Got our food. What is God doing? What is this that God has done to us? There's so much going on in the story. I, I can't unpack it all. I can't even understand it all. But I know these boys' conscience, it's convicted. And they've got to get right with God. They, they've got to get things right with their father. And they, all these things are swirling in their minds. I meant to say this earlier, but church, let me say it now. There is no power like that of a clear conscience. Conversely, the antithesis of that is equally true. There is no weakness like that of a guilty conscience. Can I encourage you with something the Lord has shown me, and it's, it's, it's valuable, and I want to share it with you. When you sin fast, ask for forgiveness fast. <laughs> Don't let any water get under the bridge of your relationship with God. I want to tell you a true story. It happened to me a number of years ago. It just illustrates the, the how can I say this without saying too cruel about myself? I almost said the ignorance of your pastor, but okay, we'll go with that. The ignorance of your pastor and also his desire to be right with God. I was teaching evangelism at Southeastern Seminary. I was also the interim pastor of a church in Raleigh. I would preach Sunday. I would get on a flight Sunday night. I would fly to Georgia. All day I would teach evangelism at an Abilene Baptist church. I did this for six weeks. By the way, you can do this in your 30s. I could never do this in my 50s. I mean, I'm working all week as a professor I'm preaching on Sunday. Then I'm getting on a plane Sunday night. Sometimes in Georgia, I'd get in at midnight. One time I got in at 2 a.m. Then I taught all day on Monday, got back on a flight Monday night, flew back to Raleigh and started my real job. Y'all with me? So one day, I was tired. And I went through that airport. And this is 1997. By the way, they still did some x-rays in 1997, pre-9-11. They did because I know. Here's what happened to yours truly. I had my briefcase. Y'all know how those x-ray machines, you lay it down, and I tripped, and that thing almost swallowed me. It was the funniest thing. I tripped, and I was going in. You know, I was, I was on the conveyor belt, and I was, I was going in with my um, briefcase, and I got out of that thing, and I started laughing. I thought, that was, I thought that was actually kind of funny. But that lady at the airport, she did not think it was funny. I stepped through that metal detector, and man, she was on like Donkey Kong. She was on my face like that. She goes, she just started bawling me out. Who do you think you are? Don't you know it's a crime to mess with government equipment? I ought to have you arrested. And what I did next, I am not very proud of. And I literally told her, said, ma'am, you get out of my face. You leave me alone. I've done nothing wrong. And I turned and stormed off and went and sat down in my chair. And the Holy Spirit came and said, my, 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 aren't you a sight? What do you do again for a living? Oh, he was working on me. He was working on me. Minister of the gospel. And how did you treat that lady? So I knew I had a choice. 
I could get on that flight and go home, be stewing, be mad, take it out on Ashley and the kids and whoever else would get in my way, or I could deal with it right then and there and ask for that lady's forgiveness. And praise God, he gave me the wherewithal to stand up. And I walked over to her. She bowed up. She was kind of a bigger woman. She larger woman. And she bowed up, and I was like, I want to say something to you right quick. I said, I want you to forgive me. I said, I'm sorry. She grabbed me by the arm. This is a true story. And I thought, <laughs> she's about to body slam me. She's about to arrest me. She grabbed me by the elbow. She goes, you're a good guy. She says, you're okay, aren't you? I said, ma'am, I don't know about that, but I do know that the Lord convicted my heart and I needed to come ask for your forgiveness. Guys, can I encourage y'all to do that? When you mess up and we all gonna mess up, don't let any water settle under the bridge. Have a clear, clean conscience. Don't have a guilty conscience. Get it right with the Lord right then and right there. It's been 25 years, and it's built up, and it's manifested itself in all sorts of entanglement. Now the brothers are in a difficult way. Well, it's 12.05. I've got a whole other page of notes. Maybe I'll just post these on the, on the Internet and let you, let you have them. But what a story. Man, praise God. Let me close with this. He who covers his sins, Proverbs 28, 13, will not prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Let's pray. Let's pray to the Lord. Let's have our invitation. Would you pray with me? With your heads bowed and with your eyes closed, can I encourage you for a moment? Can I give you a word of encouragement? If you're a child of God, and the devil wants to bring something up to you that's been under the blood, it's been forgiven, it's been cleansed, you just praise God and you thank the Lord that all is well. It is well. And then the devil will leave. But if the Holy Spirit comes and he's telling you it is not well, you have not sought forgiveness or you have not offered forgiveness, it's been years and and it haunts you, and it hurts you, and God is like, let's deal with this. Let's make restitution. Let's, let's get this thing right. Listen, when the devil speaks to you, he wants to condemn you and hurt you, but when the Holy Spirit speaks to you, he wants to help you. He wants to convict you to a place where your conscience is convicted, and it leads you to repentance. God's goodness, His kindness leads us to repentance. The devil's thoughts and speech, they lead us to condemnation. So if you're here today and something's not right, something's not settled, then let's get it right. Let's get it right. The first thing you can do is you can go to the Lord and you can tell God you're serious and you're ready. You're ready to deal with this. The next thing I would really encourage you to do I would ask you, if it's deep and it's harmful and it's dark, I would, I would encourage you to speak to a Christian brother or sister, preferably a counselor like, like Dr. Kyle Miller. I would encourage you to speak to him. Speak to God. Speak to a Christian counselor. Speak to a Christian brother or sister who will bear this burden with you and will help you walk to freedom. Your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. I, I read a quote just yesterday, and I want to I say this quote to you. It says, the good news is sins lose their power 
when they aren't hidden in the dark closet of our secret lives. Let me say it again. Sin, this is good news, sin, they lose their power when they're not hidden in the dark closet of our secret lives. Joseph's brothers hid their egregious sins of betrayal, and now their hearts fail them because of unconfessed sins. Can I encourage you, church, confess. The Bible says if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Whether something you've done, something somebody's done to you, let them go. Let it go and seek and extend forgiveness. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's deep. And that, God, it reveals the inner recesses of our hearts. Lord, so many of us are so much like those 12 brothers, especially the 10 God, we sin and we try to hide and we think that over time it'll just go away, go away, but it never goes away. And somebody can just mention a word and it comes back to us like a rolling mighty thunder. So Lord, I pray today that you'd help our people, God, distinguish between the voice of truth and the voice of lies. The voice of lies, God, just, just let them rebuke it and move on. But if it's the voice of truth, Jesus, you're calling them to salvation. Jesus, you're calling them to confess their sins and to receive forgiveness. You're calling them to counseling. You're calling them to share with a brother or sister. God, this is of you. And God, we pray that our brothers and sisters here today would heed this word and they would begin that journey towards freedom. Lord, thank you for the power of confession. Thank you, Lord, that when we ask you to forgive us, God, you do forgive us. And Lord, I thank you that 1997, after that lady and I had that confrontation, I thank you, Lord, for allowing me to get on that airplane and share the gospel with a man from New York. And Lord, I know, I know me, I never would have shared the gospel with him had I not gotten right with her. So help us, Lord, today. Help us to get right with you, to get right with one another. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.